You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jairus comes under the scrutiny and the criticism of his own peers. But guess what? He doesn't care. He don't care what they think. He doesn't care if he loses his status, his position as synagogue ruler. He doesn't care. Why? Because he loves his daughter. And his daughter is so sick, she's dying, and nobody else can help. And he's heard that Jesus is healing people. And so he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what happens to him. He cares for his daughter as any good parent would. And that's why he goes to Jesus. Jesus is for desperate people. Oftentimes, people who are anti-God will accuse Christians, as well as other religions, of using Jesus or other belief systems as a crutch. If you believe in Christ, there's no reason to argue with that accusation. But for sold-out believers, Jesus is so much more than just a crutch. As we'll be reminded in today's message from Pastor Danny, when you realize just how hopeless you are in this life, you're in a place to fully depend on Jesus for all your strength and provision. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 5, as he begins his message, Jesus, Our Only Hope. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We left off verse 21, Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, that's interesting, my third son's name is Jairus. I think about all my kids every day, but I must admit I thought about Jairus more this week than the other kids. One of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. That had to be encouraging for Jairus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Luke's account says that they almost crushed Jesus, the crowd. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, one of those mysteries, and yet not really mysterious, but Jesus knows power has gone out from him. Somebody's been the recipient of the power, but the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal who it is. He ministered by the Holy Spirit. Let's understand that. So he asked, who touched me? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? In other words, what a crazy question. All kinds of people are touching you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And they don't have good news. Your daughter is dead. Imagine that, how he felt. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. It was common in this culture, odd to us, but common in this culture to actually hire, if you could afford them, uh, professional mourners. Now, I don't know if that's what's happening here, but either way, there's all this crying and wailing and Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Do you get that? They laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. Why? Because they know she's dead. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. So he says, okay, that's the way you want to respond. You're laughing. Just, you can leave. And so once they're gone, he takes that small group. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. <laughs> I hope there are DVDs in heaven. I hope we get to see this. You know, I, I hope there's at least a reenactment. I mean, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I guess so. <laughs> and then you get this, get this. Verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Don't you tell anybody what just happened. Really? You kidding me? And then he said, give her something to eat. Don't you just love the word of God? I mean, it's just amazing. Bear with me because this is a story that in order to get everything that the Lord intends for us to get out of it, uh, we need to understand more about the main characters in it. So please, please pay attention. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, he's a very respected man in his community, especially in a religious culture, a Jewish religious culture like this one. Uh, I'm not sure what the requirements of becoming synagogue ruler were, but whatever they were, he had made it. He succeeded. Uh, from what I read, uh, he was probably... Well, I don't think any doubt. He was financially self-sufficient. Synagogue rulers did pretty well, according to the scholars that I read. Um, if you compare Luke's account of this story with Mark's, uh, we know that this was his only daughter. And you get the impression it's his only child. We know he's married because mom and dad are invited in with Jesus when he raises the child from the dead. And if you read it, it I, I don't think it's wrong to suggest and believe that this is a happy family. They're sure a blessed family. He's, he's attained a position of 
status, respect, uh, financial self-sufficiency. He's a synagogue ruler. And you get the impression he and his wife have a good relationship and they love their child. And let's just assume it's their only child. I don't know that, but let's just assume that. As a synagogue ruler, he is accustomed to dealing with all kinds of people, lots of different people, but never like this woman with the issue of blood. No association with someone like this. As a matter of fact, by his example, by his own teaching, uh, he would have taught and he would have lived that you don't associate with somebody like her. As a matter of fact, under the law, uh, you weren't supposed to. She's unclean. But it goes beyond that because the religious climate of the day, a synagogue ruler, the peers of this guy would have, would have, well, they'd have been like Simon the Pharisee who invited Jesus to his house to have dinner. Uh, Luke chapter 7 tells us that story. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but in the middle of the dinner uh, at the house of Simon the Pharisee, this woman who everybody there knows she has a sinful reputation. We don't know if she's a prostitute. We don't know what it was, but everybody knows uh, she lived a bad life. She comes in and barges into this dinner party. She begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. And Simon, the Pharisee, the host, begins to think to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is. In other words, he wouldn't let her do what she's doing. And so Jesus begins to tell a story about forgiveness about one who had been forgiven more and they loved more and one who had been forgiven little and they loved little. And of course, the point is made to compare Simon to this woman because he thinks, well, I'm a pretty good guy. And her, she's a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus turns and says to the woman, says to the woman, listen, your sins are forgiven. What do you think Simon the Pharisee thought about that statement? But then he says to her, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jairus' peers, like Simon the Pharisee, would also have been like, been like the Pharisee Jesus described in the parable of Luke chapter 18. It goes like this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So I thank God I'm not like them. Tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, so the perspective in the day among Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and his peers was one, well, you, you couldn't help it. Really, it was one of self-righteousness. And it is interesting to me that Jesus' most staunch critics were religious rulers. You don't have to read very far in the New Testament and the Gospels accounts to know that. But now Jairus, a synagogue ruler, is coming to Jesus for help. You have to believe that he had, he had secured a doctor. He's probably got his own doctor, maybe the best doctor in town. And no doubt he, like the woman, has spent money on the doctor to try to help his daughter. But however long it went on, however many exams, I don't know what all she had. And, and, and finally the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more I can do. I can't help you. 
And now Jairus, who, who is, a, is accustomed to be with the, his other peers, criticizing not only Jesus, but those who associate with Jesus, because Jesus associates with tax collectors and sinners. And now Jairus comes under the scrutiny and the criticism of his own peers. But guess what? He doesn't care. He don't care what they think. He doesn't care if he loses his status, his position as synagogue ruler. He doesn't care. Why? Because he loves his daughter. And his daughter is so sick, she's dying, and nobody else can help. And he's heard that Jesus is healing people. And so he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And he doesn't care what happens to him. He cares for his daughter as any good parent would. And that's why he goes to Jesus. But on the way to his house, there's an unexpected delay. A woman with an issue of blood. We don't know her name. Still today, we're not given her name. She's an anonymous nobody. She has no status like Jairus in the community. What status she does have, if you knew her, it's not good. She suffered with this physical infirmity for 12 years. We don't know how it came about. She'd spent all her money on going from doctor to doctor, and yet she'd only gotten worse. And, and I thought about that because I had more time than you would in the text. That's what I did, prepared to teach it. Spent hours on it, and as I thought about it, I thought, well, it's interesting, you know, if she had money to spend on more than one doctor, several doctors, then you, you wonder, I have to wonder, what, what was her life like before she contracted this infirmity? She either had a job, pretty good job, or she was married and her husband was a man of means. I mean, they spent a lot of money. She spent a lot of money. She spent all she had on doctor after doctor, and she just got worse, and now she is flat broke. And she is destitute. If she was married, it's likely she's divorced because of her condition. If she had children, it could be that she's had no contact with them for 12 years. If she was single, she's lost all hope of ever being married. Let me make this suggestion. She is not just lonely. She is not just lonely. She is starved for love. She, had, she has had no meaningful personal touch for 12 years. She lived under the law of Moses. Please understand this. This is not the new covenant yet. Jesus instituted the new covenant in his blood. He proclaimed it as he ministered. But she's still under the law of Moses. Let me read you from the law that she was under. Let me read you. Please pay attention. Leviticus chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. Here's what it says. And let me preface it to say that most scholars believe her issue of blood, we don't know for sure, but I think probably what the scholars suggest is right. Her issue of blood for 12 years was menstrual in nature. Whether it was or not doesn't change the situation. But Leviticus 15, 25, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than a monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she'll be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge, uh, while on her discharge, while having the discharge continues to be unclean, uh, and as her, is her bed during her monthly period. So if you touch the bed or lie on the bed she's been on, and you're unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean. So you sit on the couch, she sits on, you're done. 
Whoever touches her, them, will be unclean. He must wash his clothes, bathe with water, and they'll be unclean till evening. That, that is why she comes to Jesus the way she does. She's not normally in public. They won't allow her in public. She comes. She sees the opportunity. There's a crowd. And she comes cloaked in the crowd. And she is so afraid that if she gets caught, what that crowd would do to her. And please understand, because of her condition under the law of Moses, she has not been able to attend a public worship service for 12 years. She has not been able to go to church. She's an outcast. She's just like the prostitute. There was a belief in this culture that the clothes of a holy man, especially the fringes of their clothing, contain miraculous power. That's very interesting because you go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 10, it says people were pushing just to touch Jesus. But then you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 56, after this story, and you read Mark 6, 56, here's what it says. Crowds were pushing just so they could touch the edge of his garment because they must have heard about this woman. Now, I think it's interesting God meets us where we are, even in sometimes our superstition. But if our faith gets directed toward him, he'll work despite our superstition. So there's a little background on the two main characters, and I think it's worthwhile to spend the time on the background to get everything that God wants us to get out of this story. Because here we have two people, Jairus, a synagogue ruler, and this unnamed, anonymous, nobody woman who's been unclean for 12 years, and they cannot be further from uh, one another. They can't be on a farther side of the tracks, if you will, <laughs> from one another in life. And yet they're two people and their situations woven into one story. That's not an accident. So what does the Lord want to teach us? Let me just simply say, if you're suffering a physical infirmity, seek Jesus. Now, I believe in doctors as well. I believe the Bible believes in doctors. God sent Paul the apostle, a doctor to travel with him. <laughs> he needed it because he's getting beat up everywhere he goes. Luke, the physician, traveled with Paul. And so nothing wrong with going to doctors. Uh, but when the doctor can't help you, that's especially when you need to go to Jesus. And let me suggest, maybe consider going to Jesus before you go to the doctor. James chapter 5, if you're sick, and, and, and the sickness there is not just a common cold. That's the impression of the Greek term. Uh, you know, you're really ill. Uh, and go call for the elders and have them anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. That has to be the prayer of faith, and God has to give us that prayer. It's not just, just prayer, it's the prayer of faith. But this woman, her, her infirmity, uh, her infirmity was not just physical, it was spiritual. Did you catch that from Leviticus 5? It affected her relationship with others, but it also affected her relationship with God. And when Jesus, in the power that goes out from him in response to her faith, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she does, and she is. And the cleansing that came went beyond physical. It went beyond physical. And Scripture bears that out. 
And I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that her issue of blood is menstrual in nature. Now, if, if it wasn't, it doesn't change the situation. But many scholars believe it was menstrual in nature. And I, and I, I think they probably have a point. And if it was, there's one scripture that really, really is meaningful to what happened here in the story to her and her cleansing. What is it? It's Isaiah chapter 64. All of us have become like one who was unclean. And all our righteous acts, that's the best you can do. That's the best you can do. Are like filthy rags. And if you have a Bible computer with, you know, resources that we have today are amazing. You can click on that filthy rags and it'll tell you what Hebrew word, and it's the common Hebrew word for a woman's monthly menstrual cloth. The picture doesn't get any more clear. When you tie that with what I read from the law in Leviticus about a woman's issue of blood beyond her monthly period. But thank God. That's one side of the coin. Here's the other side. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Come on, say it with me. Come on, you ready? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Can anybody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. I mean, I mean, I mean, what a God, what a savior that's willing to touch and be touched by the most unclean, which includes us. And once, once faith and Jesus meet, a wonderful thing happens, cleansing, cleansing. I think it's so ironic, you know, our blood is tainted with sin. Life is in the blood. Isn't it a wonderful irony that now our blood is tainted with sin, and yet by the blood of Jesus we're made clean? It's just wonderful. I asked the question, and I got to spend hours dealing with the question of why in the world Jesus is so adamant about this woman after power has gone out and she's cleansed and she feels in her body that she's freed from her suffering, and then Jesus stops. And he's not giving up. We don't know how long he looked around, but he presses the point so much, he wants to know who it is that finally the woman comes forward. And I asked why. Why did he want her to go public? And what I got to spend hours on dealing with, I give you in a few seconds, I think of four reasons. And don't worry, they're very quick. Uh, one, I think, because Jesus wants her to know that it wasn't so much a magical thing of touching his cloak, it was her faith, and that's what secured her healing wasn't superstition. wasn't some kind of magical deal, you know. No, it was her faith. And that's why he says, daughter, your faith, your faith, that's, that's the key, your faith. I think, too, because Jesus wants her to go public, just like he wants us to go public after we've cleansed. And I put this here, God wants us to share our testimony publicly, boldly, and unashamedly. Amen? Three. Because the father wanted the story in the Bible. I'm so thankful for that. She needs to come public because somebody, the apostles, others who are going to be writing it, they need to hear her story. But last, and certainly not least, because Jesus wanted her to know 
that what has happened goes way beyond just healing her physical infirmity. And that's why he says to her, Daughter, Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.